On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC. Redesign your organisation. Reinvent your capabilities. Reimagine your future. On News Talk. Let's run through just the front pages of some of the Sunday newspapers. And as you may expect, two things really dominating the budget, which is on Tuesday and that match last night. Pictures across the front pages. Uh, Bundiaki hugging Dan Sheehan after uh, one of his scores earlier on in the game on the front page of the Sunday Independent next to the headline Boost for Children's Benefit and Electricity Payments. A Super Tuesday Budget Expected reports Hugh O'Connell, the Deputy Political Editor, running through all sorts of things. One of the newer ones, a bid to trainee guard there's going to be a major hike in the allowances paid to them from 184 to 305 euro uh, also credits for renters the renters tax credit will be doubled to 1000 euro from 500 says the the indo that's kind of disputed in a few of the papers as we'll get into later on um, but a, a lot of the the leaks on, on there and a really good read piece inside about prudence versus big spending is it going to be prudent pascal don't who we see on tuesday or will the government go mad ahead of a potential election year moving to the front page of the sunday Times. Peter O'Mani uh, lifting his son Theo after his 100th cap on the front page there. A lovely photo actually on the front. And then the budget, the main story as well. From Claire Scott, landlords in line for €3,000 budget boost. Tax relief aims to keep rental homes in the market while mortgage holders will also get help. Uh, the Tisha Cleo Varadkar indicating according to the paper that middle income workers could expect to get more than €1,000 back in their pockets through cuts in income tax, universal social charge and then the one-off measures that we will all be keeping an eye on, the likes of those energy credits, how are they going to be uh, repeated Uh, and then Ireland set up Scotland, Ireland crushed Scotland rather to set up All Blacks Clash is the headline on the off-lead moving to the business post and on the front page, big read from Michael Brennan, coalition targets floating Sinn Féin voters in 14 billion euro budget, USC cuts, childcare cuts, free school books for second level, energy credits, 1,000 euro tax uh, credit for generation rent and small firms to get a grant payment to offset the hike in the minimum wage is what the Business Post is reporting and a good piece from Lorcan Allen in there again on prudence versus politics. And finally, moving to the front page of the Mail on Sunday, they uh, don't go with a budget lead. Actually, Martin Bax's Garda chief is a top story from John Lee and Debbie McCann. Tornish to Micheál Martin denying Drew Harris's leadership is fatally wounded after he came to a compromised position over a row on rosters with the GRA and Andrew Porter, the rugby player, making the front page. Ireland puts Scotland to the sort. Next up are the All Blacks and a story we're going to be talking about later on in the show as well. Um, makes a lot of the international front pages, only makes the mail from the Irish papers. Don't kill me, the anguish cry of a young Israeli woman called Noah kidnapped from a peace festival as world fears all-out war in the Middle East. And this is that um, days now of, of, of violence and Hamas attacks in Israel. That's some of the topics we're going to be talking about later on with my newspaper panel. And I am delighted to be joined in studio by the, the Fine Gael MEP, Colin Markey, and by broadcaster and journal- journalist, rather, Valerie uh, Cox. Good, good morning and welcome to you both. Lots to get through there, but let's start with uh, the budget. Uh, Colin, you obviously have all the secrets ready for us. Well, what, what's coming on Tuesday? What should we be salivating for? Well, sure, if you read the papers, I think the budget's all out long before now. But I think, <laughs> uh, uh, look, I don't think there's, I suppose the, the two realities are, number one, that the the budget is, situation is in a good place in terms of there's essentially close to a 10, 10 billion surplus. I think we have to recognise the, the position the country's in, albeit that that's been tampered a little bit lately with a, a reduction in corporation tax. I suppose that brings a little bit of 
calm as well in terms of just the sentiment. But certainly the, the country is in a good place at the moment. I think we have to be careful to make sure that that we don't build in long term spend that we can't sustain o- over time because there's a suggestion certainly that in the current economic climate or in the current I- international instability that maybe there will come pressures on, on revenue. So I think the, cer- certainly short term spend in terms of cost of living and, and alleviating that for people a building in a certain amount of long-term spend that, that, that the, co- the economy can support and putting a little bit away. It's the old story. It's the prudent pragmatism. But I think when you take it back to the reality of it, there, there will be, no doubt, be, be something in, the, in terms of taxes, something in terms of, uh, I suppose, the energy, uh, supporting people in relation to energy. I think childcare, the childcare benefit in terms of supporting the providers of childcare and indeed parents in terms of, I think that's an area, I suppose, from my perspective, I, I, I'd like to see, as a young parent myself, I'd like to, a parent of young children myself, I'd like to see support there. And I think that that will be recognised. And the, the old your, classic... Your party leader, in fairness, has been sort of walking back the amount of support they're going to give, though. The promise last year was another 25% on top of the 25. And that seems to be, we have been walking back by the day lately. Yeah, I think, I think it, uh, look, the, the budget will be the budget. I'm not going to say what's in the budget this morning, and it, but, but I do think there's a need to support child benefit. I think there's a need to support the squeezed middle in terms of the, 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 the ordinary worker. And I think the, the changes perhaps in, in UNC and the top rate of, of a, uh, the point which entered the top rate of tax, I think, have probably been muted in the papers anyway. The like of Hugh O'Connell and in the Indo and a... Uh, uh, Michael Brennan in the Business Post certainly have, and to be fair to them, the two good, uh, I think it's page eight and nine and both have a, have a good layout of, of all the options that are there and a sense of what's already in the papers. But yeah, I think it's the main stuff. It's ta- it's tax and welfare, it's childcare, it's cost of living, it's uh, helping be- supporting business through the, the current pressures. I think that that's on that side of it. And then a kind of it's talk of a 14 billion budget, I suppose, 10 billion of a surplus is there, but a certain amount of it is multi-annual spending as well that's mm. making plans for the future as well. And I think that's that's important too. Uh, Valerie, your, your journalistic colleagues have obviously put their nose to the crown this week uh, to try and get this document. We seem to get it earlier and earlier every year. What's, what's catching your eye when it comes to the budget? Well, it's very much a young person's budget and a young family budget. And much of that is very good. I mean, I particularly like this uh, contribution to school books, which looks to be Mm. coming up for a second level schooling, which costs families an absolute fortune. And they're calling it Super Tuesday. I don't know if that's good or bad. But, you know, the electricity discount is very good. The double child benefit. The trainee Gardaí, I was very impressed with that, where um, their rate of uh, training is going from 184 up to 305 euro a week, backdated. So it's an increase of about two thirds. We need this so badly because it's so hard to recruit and train um, Gardaí and to hold on to them, which, of course, is the big thing. Um, I loved one of the headlines there from uh, the Sunday Independent, Hugh O'Connell. Parsimonious pair aren't losing the purse strings. Pascal <laughs> Donahue and Michael McGrath, obviously. But yes, there is something mixed, missed here, very, very much missed. And that is any emphasis on older people and on carers. Now, you know, it can be brushed aside very easily. But what we've got to understand is carers in this country are keeping thousands of people, a lot of older people, in their own homes for many, many years, living quality lives instead of having them all admitted to nursing homes and hospitals, taking up beds in hospitals, 
filling up nursing homes and they've never been seriously looked at. The Our treatment of carers in this country, I'm not going to go on about it now, but it is an absolute disgrace. We treat it as somebody who gets a few bob here for doing something that is pretty much unqualified. Whereas we need this to get a huge increase in spending, in organisation. We need to pay our carers a proper rate. They're getting the basic rate. They're coming out with about €12 an hour, which is ridiculous. Many of them around the country, particularly in rural areas, they're travelling miles, wrecking their cars. Some of them aren't even getting mileage allowances. And, you know, against that, we need better training. We need there to be a proper qualifying system for our carers where they become true professionals and are treated like it. We treat them at the very bottom of the employment pile and yet they are looking after our relatives, our friends, our neighbours and they are keeping people in their own homes. Surely to God the government could see that. And if, you know, they talk about this being a young budget and we're talking about getting the floating Sinn Féin voters and they reckon they're aged between 20 and 30. But the silver vote is out there as well. Mm. And if older people just realised what's going on, demanded their rights, sure, you know, we could decide who wants to be in government if we wanted to. Tend to vote more as well as the, new, the younger people. Ab- people absolutely. I mean, they have a very good voting record. And um, the other thing, of course, which is coming up in the Mail on Sunday, John Drennan made much about this. There is also the RTE bailout to be considered mm. in the budget. And it's suggested maybe 55 million. But John Drennan reckons it could be up to 100 million. Mm. Now, that's going to make a big hole in the budget finances. How do you feel about that, Colin? Bailing it like that's 100 million euro that could be used in so many different places and not to denigrate broadcasting while we're broadcasting of all things. But I mean, that's a that's a lot of money to put towards an organisation that hasn't exactly shown a capability for managing its money well. I think the issue is around the capability of managing its money well. I think that 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 is a big concern. Like if you look at even the the art, there's an article in the in the Sunday Independent, I think it is, in relation to the uh, the Late Late Show, and that it's mm. it's it's for showing. And uh, the 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 uh, Donny O'Sullivan was potentially going to be one of the guests, and he was pulled at the last minute. Yeah, we're going to like, talk about that, yeah, we'll that talk bit about later on. But the the specifically in terms of where that money is going, because I think. Uh, I think Valerie, there, has to be a pl- uh, there has to be a plan put into RT in terms of making sure it's fit for purpose going forward. It's not just about the money that the state invests. There's a real problem with, with the with the 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 payment people make the the, the license fee. License fee. Uh, the license fee uh, in terms of the confidence and credibility of the public in relation to that. So if there's not an effective, like okay, we'll talk about the the late late show later on. But the reality is, if there's not a full effective plan put in place that people have confidence in the state broadcaster, then it's the public won't buy putting money into it. And I think that's what had that has to be addressed. It's been a bit of a theatre show, to be honest, uh, in, in Leinster House in terms of of what has happened over the last month or two. And I don't know if that's necessarily got to the bottom of the real issues. Mm. I think we'd need to get to the bottom of the real issues. It's very hard to put money in, in, to have the confidence of the public behind you in terms of investing in a state broadcaster if it's not going to be. Uh, if if the issues behind the scenes are not going to be addressed. I do think there is a vital need for a state broadcaster. I think when you look at what happens in, in other countries across Europe and how, if you like, the, the independence and uh, the, the, the independence of a state broadcaster and the need for public sector broadcasting information to be out there, I think it's vital, but I'm very worried that we're, uh, how far we're getting in terms of addressing the challenges that are there. 
I think the, the, the new chief executive certainly has indicated an intention yeah. to, to get stuck in, but, but we need, we need a, a very clear picture. Of where this just just to go back to the, the, the budget element of this, Valerie, and one big thing across the papers, and that has been all the squeeze, and it feeds into what you were tying earlier, is the health overrun. That has squeezed everything and it could be much worse if those carers you were talking about weren't yeah. keeping people out of the system. But it means that elsewhere, in the likes of social welfare, in the likes of other spending, we're not going to see enough. 10 to 12 euro a week on top of social welfare is what's being talked about, particularly when it comes to pensioners. Is that going to be enough to make up for the cost of living shortfall that we're seeing? Not at all. And it's certainly not what was promised in previous budgets or coming up to previous budgets. We're nowhere near the basic rate that people should be on to get to have an ordinary, just a normal life, mm. nothing exotic, no foreign holidays, but being able to afford a pound of butter mm. to be able, to, you know, to spend money on things like that. And yes, there's some good things out there as well, of course, for older people. I mean, free transport and all the rest of it. But the day to day living is something that you can't make decisions on. And the other thing is, um, you know, I would like to have seen a more radical budget. And there is a piece here from Ian Guider in um, the Sunday Business Post, which I thought was very impressive. Mm. He's giving what he calls his radical 10-step plan for a pro-business budget. Now, just think about these things. I mean, we're talking about the government and the cabinet stepping out of this normal, safe, 10 euro a week thing. He's suggesting revival of local towns, scrapping the VAT on new house bills, which would be terrific. And mer- these are just some of his suggestions. And merging the ESB and Board Namona, because he says they are virtually doing the same thing. Mm. And, you know, we're paying for two sets of executives and two structures to do the same job. Why are we doing that? And maybe if we saved all those millions, we could be putting more money into the health services. But I think what we actually need in health is management. Mm. It's not the money. I mean, God, the children's hospital, an absolute disgrace. And still people having an awful time living on trolleys practically for days. You know, I mean, I've seen it myself um, in uh, hospital uh, A&Es and all the rest of it. And the long, long wait for simple things to happen, you know, for x-rays, um, MRI scans, all of that. Terribly long wait, during which whatever nasty disease, hopefully the person hasn't got it, but if they have, that's going to be festering. Now, that's what we should be looking at and that's where money should be going. But it's not a budget thing. It's not about throwing money. It isn't really. It's about management. I think this is one of the major issues. When you have a major budget surplus, everyone thinks about the budget. In so many things, whether it be housing, whether it be at the health service, an awful lot of it is is around management. And the concern you have when there is a budget surplus, it's often harder to get those management changes because of the expectations that are there. But back to the health service and the the point of Valerie made earlier, I totally agree with her in relation to the older people. But I think the older people and the younger people issues are interlinked because it's all those young people that are living in the commuter belt, that are commuting up and down to Dublin every day, who don't have the mother or the father beside them. The mother and father may be in Galway or Mayo or somewhere Mm. and they don't have them to run and grab the kids in school. And like that, they're concerned while they're in Dublin and if the mother has a fall in Mayo. So all... it's a societal thing where the, the links between the society we would have known before, where everyone, where almost a three generational society, where the older person was looking after the children when the middle person went to work. That doesn't happen as much in the construction of society now. So the reality is the support for older people is vitally important. That support for older people that will get a vote from an older person 
you'll also get a vote from a younger person because it's their mm-hmm. parent as well yeah. and it's that parent that looked after those kids that you were so right about. because and it's the beginning and the end of life absolutely. because you shouldn't have gone to Brussels you should have stayed here and organised <laughs> it and let your voice I, be heard I'd, 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 be deli- I'd be delighted to be here I suppose to organise but don't take that I'm, I'm delighted well, to be in that, Brussels that, that, that's I'm con- delighted confirmation Brussels you're, you're running in the next general election then <laughs> no, are you no, no, what, no, what I, constituency I, I, I'm running in the next European election it's all going well and uh, I think there's a lot the interesting thing about this even a care strategy for older people that comes up at European level as well mm. so a lot of the policy that we get at national level is it starts at European level but that inter- interact- interconnectedness of the generations is vital and it's something that's lost and the caring getting back to Valerie's point the caring of older people in the home because if you take someone out, an older person out of their natural environment you talk about the onset of Alzheimer's and things like that they're lost so the longer you can keep them in the, lo- the, the home that's going to save you on a health service that's going to have a, a better outcomes so uh, for me it's not about the older people versus the younger people it's about both and what impacts one impacts the other the, the younger person going to work every day that, that has, they has to worry about the childcare has to worry about the, yeah. the school books yeah. they, they, they also have to worry about the older people but I think we do have to at the same time have a respect for, for those middle income people who are struggling every day to just keep the show on the road whether it be children whether it be caring for their, their parents they really are under pressure well, what's your, what you're advocating at, at, um, and potentially wisely from your point of view given you're up for election in about six months time is a little bit for everybody there's something for everyone in the, in no, the audience an, an interconnected budget. no prioritising things that make a difference for a young parent it makes a difference if, if, they, can, if they know they've been helped in relation to childcare for, an, for a young person and an older person if that parent has been looked after mm. and if that parent is, is able to be at home to, to help maybe with the, with the children it's the interconnectedness of society we can people think of a budget about numbers Budget is about people and we have to, and it's back to the point that Valerie makes, we have to prioritise people and the human factor and if we get caught up in the numbers, we lose the, the, the gain you can get in properly managed RTE, the gain you can get in a properly managed health service, but more importantly, the gain you can get in a society that's interconnected and saves, saves on a budget because it's well organised. Should it be yeah. 25% childcare cut? The, the promise was 25%, should they keep that promise? I think there, 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 there should be an investment in the, in the at that level, but there also should be a significant investment in the support of the child care. But so providers. you specifically want them to keep the twenty five percent. Obviously, I'm, I'm yeah. hardly going to say no. Am yeah, I? Well, very true. <laughs> uh, look, we could talk about the budget all day, and it is across the papers. We've got plenty more to go through. My, my panel is Colin Markey and Valerie Cox. We're going to be back uh, with more, including the some of the awful attacks that are happening in Israel. Chat soon. Now, uh, one of the stories in the papers today is in relation to MICA and obviously housing is go- something we're going to be watching across the budget. And this is on page seven of the Business Post today. Banks are proposing an interest-free loans for MICA homeowners. Ireland's three main banks could pay out tens of millions in interest-free loans to MICA homeowners under a new proposal to address the problem with the €3 billion euro redress scheme. And this is basically a problem that while people are able to get money through it, people who need their, their MICA, their, their home rebuilt, their, the money is being drawn down in stages and basically they can't get access to bridging finance. And so this is a suggestion the Banking Payments Federation has made. I'm joined on the line uh, by Angeline Ruddy, who is a MICA uh, homeowner. Uh, Angeline, thanks for talking to us on the record on News Talk. I suppose, just give us a flavour of your, your own story first before I get your reaction to, to this story from the papers, please. Um, well, my own story is I'm known since about 2008 that my home was crumbling. And since then, I've worked through the process. I have uh, little step by little step. It's like making a massive jigsaw puzzle. 
of over a thousand pieces and you get to the stage where you've got 999 pieces in place and you're still saying, I'm still not there. There's another piece that mm. I have to get. And that's the bank. Okay. And, you know, my experience is not a 0% uh, interest rate or anything near to it. So what happened when you went to the banks looking for the, the this money, this bridging money or, or yeah. whatever it was to you to even start the rebuild, I suppose, was it? So, yeah, to start the rebuild, I had everything else in place in the jigsaw, this very last piece. So I went, I contacted my bank and obviously was sent to the online section to apply to meet with a mortgage advisor in February. Um, I did that on two different occasions. Each time I got a phone call just before the meeting to say, actually, we're going to refer you to somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. And possibly I mentioned the word Micah in my or somebody was aware that it was about a Micah loan. Mm-hmm. So eventually I was put in contact with a Micah mortgage expert, apparently. And that was on the fourth of, or 17th of April. And uh, she didn't get back to me to the 4th of May. We spent two hours in a Zoom call. And basically she couldn't understand any way that she could lend me the money that I was looking for. She talked about the loan to value calculator not working. She talked about the fact that I couldn't invoice two places at the one time and expect to get money from both. Uh, we went round and round in circles. And eventually, um, I asked her for the best option for my particular case. And she advised me to go to another bank and release equity on a different house. Mm. And when I said to her I wanted something that would work for all families, she said, you know, the best we can do is offer you a personal loan. And... Uh, advised me to go online and uh, try and access the personal loan. I did that, and the maximum amount I could borrow was 30000 And on top of that, the, uh, you know, the rate was absolutely extortionate. So it wasn't even a consideration for me. And so for um, just for people who are listening, this is money that you're looking for to bridge the gap between you can draw, before you can yeah. draw down from the government scheme. So the, you, they know the money is coming down the line. Absolutely. But better still, right, at the minute, I have a very, very small, I have a small car loan left to pay in the house, right? I owe 10000 on my house, right? So I went to the bank. They tell me I'm in negative equity, that the house is of absolutely no value at the minute, et cetera, et cetera. So I couldn't borrow against the site because uh, they were telling me that that wouldn't work. So I, they were quite happy to leave me with a bad debt of 10000 rather than re- lending me the money so that I could access the scheme that would leave my house with a value of 420000 plus. Right. It was absolutely ridiculous the standoff that we came to. And whenever I seen the newspaper this morning, you know, my first reaction is the first line says it all. Ireland's three main banks could pay out tens of millions in interest-free loans to micro homeowners under a new proposal. Yeah, the word could is exactly what is prominent in my mind. Of course they could, but are they going to? The lady that I spoke to, who is the so-called MICA mortgage expert, did assure me that she would get back to me if there was any changes. The best thing that she came up with, apart from the personal loan, was she told me if I got it to risk level, I could come back and then they would consider giving me a mortgage. (laughs) Now, that was absolute farcical because I still couldn't get on to the scheme. So I was 
spoon. A lot of toing and froing from February right up until the last email that I got from her was in May. And uh, after the Zoom meeting, she said that she would be in contact with me if anything changed. I hope I get a call next week. In the interim, I tried every other avenue possible and I finished up contacting my uh, PUI credit union, uh, who were extremely helpful and offered me a home improvement loan. Mm. And the home improvement loan was to help MICA homeowners, and it obviously would work. Obviously, I am improving my home, and I had um, what I needed within three days. Wow. Wow. Mm. So my house has now been tossed, and we will start to rebuild shortly. Okay. Well, look, I'm glad that you are actually starting to get the rebuild, but it sounds like absolutely banging your head against a, brick, a, a crumbling brick wall, no no less. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not, not to make yeah. light of it, but look, uh, listen, Angeline, thanks a minute for coming on the show today. And look, I hope you get sorted and the process gets a little bit easier from here. Thanks for talking to us on the record. Uh, Colin Markey, this is in your constituency. This is ridiculous. The fact that, not, whatever about the banks, right? The fact that the government scheme is structured in this way in the first place is totally stupid. Well, look, the government scheme is putting the money on the table. Uh, but clearly in, not in the, at the well, points look, when it matters. You might get it, but if it's going in tranches like this and you can't get the process started, well, what there, good there, is there, that? There's a number, I think she's dead right. The, the banks, it's not that they could or should, they must do it. Like the government has put their best foot forward in terms of putting a very significant scheme on the table, and you can rubbish people can play it down. If I'm you not like. rubbishing the scheme. The money the scheme, is there, but yes. if you can't now, get out the money the, the to other, rebuild the, the, your house, that's no good. The stakeholders that are there, like the banks themselves, are invested in this in terms of mortgages that were on those houses. Like they absolutely have to come forward and play their part. I suppose from my background, I've seen it in, in other schemes. I would have been involved in leader companies and things over the year, where bridging finance is always a major problem. So in reality, the banks will be secure in terms of the, the money is there fr- from, the, from the, the government, if you like, to, to pay once the works is done. Like the, the government can't give you the money and then, then come back. There has to be some control and regulatory uh, element of getting the works done correctly. So the banks should step forward, uh, must step forward and provide that bridging finance. They, they're part of this mix as well and they, 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 they know that the money is there from, from the government to provide for it. So I think the fact that, it, that, that that's come forward is very positive. Just in terms of the overall micro situation, I think we have to, like I'm very conscious of this. We've a group coming over from the European Parliament to look at it at the end of October. The reality is these people have been left in a very bad way. The government, in fairness, have come forward with a very, very good scheme. Well, we've got a text in. Like, well, what, was text in exactly what I was thinking. Why should the banks fix her problem? It's a government issue, not a bank issue. The government have, put, have the money put forward. The money is secure in terms of the banks know they will get the money. It is a but they're clearly not, the banks should know they're getting the money. But in Angeline's case, that, that didn't make any difference. She was able to say it is coming down the line, but that was no but good. It's, a, it's about everyone. It's, it's what's happening. It's about the, the banks and the government sitting down together to put a formula in place that will well, allow... Why was that not done before this? How many, how many years down the line are, are we with Look, this? I think they, I, there's no doubt this, this could have been done quicker. I think it's not done yet. I think the government have been willing on their side to do as much as they can. The banks have done nothing today. This is a first move from the banks. So I think, like, in terms of raising finance, the government have put the, 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 the finance in place to, to support the works. They, they obviously, the, the finance to bridge that to make it happen, uh, the government can't necessarily put that in place either because at the end of the day, they're drawing down, there's, there's terms and conditions to, to draw down the money that they're going to use for this. So 
The reality is the banks have a part to play in this. They haven't done up today. And I don't think it's a legitimate thing to, to suggest the banks are doing a good thing coming in here. They must do this. They should have done it before now. The money is secure from the government side to provide for. So they know they will get the money back. It's an investment in the properties that they will have mortgages on and potentially have already got mortgages yeah. on it. The, the banks have no, like the banks have come in for a lot of criticism in this country in the past and rightly so. And this is a situation where the banks should have showed up long ago on this. Okay. And the government have showed up. It's up to the banks now to show up and, and partner up. And I suppose from everybody, and in particular from the bank's perspective, because I say it, it's not only about Micah. The ability to get money out of the banks at the moment is yeah. appalling. Uh, that's a wider, a, a wider issue. Now, if, let us know your opinion uh, on this. The text line 53106, it costs a 30 cent, or you can WhatsApp 087-1400-106. Uh, someone has done just that. Just in relation to Micah, my sister's house has to be knocked due to Micah. So-called 100% redress scheme is far from what it claims to be. She got a quote to rebuild her house in Westport at 435,000 euro. Her 100% scheme will give her a sum total of 190,000 euro to rebuild. That's an unbelievable shortfall. Uh, And they've also been told the house will only be built to 2007 standard. What is she supposed to do? Valerie, you've done quite a a bit of reporting, I believe, on this. What do you make of it all? Yeah, you see, a lot of these houses were built in the boom times and the problem started to emerge around 2011 when, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen Micah Mm. or the results of it. The bricks start splitting. The plaster falls Mm. off the walls. The rendering falls off the walls. I have stood in a Donegal house in a child's bedroom where they had to barricade it to stop the kids going in. It was that bad. But the banks are an absolute disgrace because all they want, and they've got it really, is a no-risk arrangement with the government where they will give only 15% up front. It's nothing like the 420. Mm. It's 15% of the agreed sum. So it's a very small amount. And this is so typical of the government. They give grants for lots and lots of things. But getting those grants, be it solar panels or agricultural grants or whatever, it is so difficult to get because you've got to jump through these hoops and people have to get um, have to get loans, personal loans, whatever, to get them. But the other thing we're forgetting about is that most of these people have whacking great mortgages. Mm-hmm. Now, um, your caller there said she only has a mortgage of 10,000. That would be very unusual because most of these houses were built since, uh, since um, 2000. Uh, it's 2001, 2002, mm. those sort of dates. So these are people who would have big mortgages. Um, a lot of them mm. would be, um, you know, quite substantial houses standing alone in the rural countryside where they've had to get electricity, water, all of that yeah. kind of thing. And they're not just, some of them are on housing estates, of course, and their neighbours are all suffering with it as well. But why should somebody who's paying a mortgage now find it so difficult to get something that the government is boasting is there already? And why should the banks not cooperate? I mean, the money is guaranteed. But, you know, I think, you know, the banks being what they are, if we just say, oh, you know, it's there, should that'll just lead to litigation in the long run, you know? I think, there, look, we're all in agreement that the banks have to step forward on this. And it's not as if they're, they're not a, an interested party in this. Number one, they have a responsibility. They, 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 they issued mortgages on these houses in the first place. They never asked the questions. We know the banks over the years never asked the questions whether the asset that they were securing against was done to the standards it should be. The MICA is a particularly st- bad example of that where they got no engineer search. Like, this issue was there and wasn't addressed. And the, the banks, as much as anybody, should have called that out. The other thing that isn't happening is there's no sort of coordinated approach to how... Like, the biggest problem we have here is when you look at your... Listen to your listener there about the costs. There's so much demand now for builders in that part of the country. We need to look at how we can 
build capacity in the construction sector that can take these out on block as opposed to individual people going for individual quotes. Mm. And I think if you can secure the finance and if a number of people can secure the finance together, that maybe then you can put a package together to put a, a business proposal in relation to constructing these houses. Because you have to realise, I've visited houses just like Valerie and there's like RSJs holding up walls and, mm. and all sorts of crazy things and you'd fear that there, there will be a, a problem down the road. Like, this issue has to be addressed, but it's not just like everyone blames the government to, needs to throw more money at. Throwing money at is one thing, securing the, the, the bridging finance is another, putting the capacity there in terms of building out the, the houses is another. So it's, it's a package of issues that needs to be dealt with. And all too often, it's all just about find me the money. It takes a lot more. It's no different than the, 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 the societal thing that we talked about earlier with younger people and older people. It's a package approach we yeah. need to this rather than just a... And there is one texture who at least partially agrees with you. Why do the government have to be playing for every mess? It's the quarries and the suppliers that are at fault and they are the ones who have been very... It's been very difficult to try and chase them. A lot of them are closed now. But, but the banks as well. The banks are signed off on all these mortgages and never asked any questions. Mm. So they, they, they can't pretend they're coming in like a white knight here. No, they're part of the problem here to start with. Yeah, Valerie, uh, it's across a lot of the papers today on a, a different story and a, a very harrowing story with what's happening in Israel getting more of a coverage probably in the international pages it, uh, in the front page of the, the not the Irish Sunday Times but the other Sunday Times and the Sunday Telegraph uh, has quite a stark headline Hamas terrorists butcher civilians a stunned Israel suffers its 9-11 moment yeah, and the papers are full of photographs of these civilians being abducted. I mean, there's even one with um, two terrorists on or fighters on a motorbike with an elderly woman in the middle and they're abducting her and she's terrified. And of course, that story you mentioned there, uh, Noah Argamani, mm. who was taken from a peace festival and um, she was murdered. So, you know, what's going to happen next? Well, there's very little commentary yet coming up, but there is a piece, a um, very good piece in the Mail on Sunday from Mark Almond. He's the director of the Crisis Research Institute in Oxford and he's making the point the whole world will feel the pain. Now, I also don't understand, and the papers are saying this too, how on earth did Israeli intelligence not know this was going to happen? Mm. It was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. That was 50 years ago, believe it or not now. That was the Arab assault on Israel. And surely they would have been watching out for things that were happening along the Gaza Strip. Um, it, you know, it, I, they have one of the most advanced um, intelligence operations in the world and have had for many years and yet they couldn't see this happening which is very strange but um, Dr. Almond says that um, if we look at what's going to happen to the world now if this isn't stopped immediately obviously there's going to be instability in the Middle East yeah. and um, we're going to have um, the uh, EU Commission well the EU Commission already involved Ursula van der Leyen said um, this is terrorism at its most deplor- in its most deplorable form but we are talking about a rise in energy costs. We're talking about a recession in the West. I mean, let's look back to 1973 when this is just exactly what happened. And also the danger of Hezbollah, which has now um, already congratulated um, the, the, the situation, you know, mm. uh, congratulated Palestine. So, I mean, 
what do we do next and where do we go? It's actually very, very frightening. It is. And that, that is the big question. Literally some breaking news on it from The Guardian just a couple of minutes ago. At least 250 Israelis have been killed. Uh, 1,590 Israelis have been wounded. That's according to the health ministry. And at least 230 Palestinians have been killed and 1,600 wounded in Gaza by Israeli strikes after the Hamas attacks. This isn't all going uh, one way. Benjamin Netanyahu column saying mm-hmm. that the country is embarking on a long and difficult war and he has called it a war warning Gazans to get out now that's obviously not something a lot of them can actually do though Yeah, I think that's the reality of what we're looking at like I just saw it in the Sunday Independent where it's Netanyahu has called said it's all out war Mm. and like this is the problem here like obviously like from our perspective we condemn all sorts of violence and any and you really need the violence to stop if it can at all and you, you call on people too that's probably not realistic at this point, but you have to wonder what what Hamas are trying to achieve. Like, right, they, they they may have caught Israel on the hop, but Israel as as a state is incredibly military militarized, and their their you, potential. You've been there in the past. Yeah, I've you? been there in the past. I was there in I think it was two thousand and sixteen, and just and that was if you like in peace times, and just the level of people that con. People in the army, the young people signed up to the army, they're just walking around with, there's literally guns everywhere. It's, it's, I've been many places in the world, but I've never been in a place like Israel where there's just a constant sense of a siege mentality. And I suppose the reality is you're in a situation where all of Israel's neighbours don't, they'll get no support among their neighbours. And I think the, the uh, Mark Ammon's piece in relation to the, the knock-on effects is quite is quite significant because we're already looking at a situation where the impact that Ukraine is having on the world. We're looking at the world becoming, if you like, less stable than we we, we understand understood it to be. And this is another another front in that instability. And if you look at, let's say, America's interests, always had an interest in Israel and what happened there. Will that change its priorities for, priorities for elsewhere in the world? So everywhere the temperature is rising instability is increasing, the knock-on effect and cost mm. of living and fuel costs and everything. For everybody, this has an effect. Yeah, I think what's very worrying too is the number of people living in the area because you say, you know, people from Gaza have been told to get out. There are 2.2 million people living on the small strip on the Absolutely. Or, uh, beside you. If Israel decided to have a ground attack yeah. on Gaza, sure, it should be wiped out. Mm. Catastrophe. And, and I suppose at the back of all this is, like we all know and we know it from here in Ireland, like aggression and war and let's say a military approach solves nothing. But there is a fundamental problem whether all these people in Gaza and their, their futures and their opportunities are not what people elsewhere in the world have. And we that certainly needs to be addressed. And I think when you look at the, the sentiment that's there, particularly from, the let's say, the Israeli leader at the moment, and like they're not going to handle this in a peaceful manner. It's just not in their nature. They haven't done it historically. They've always defended their, their, they've used military to defend their position. Hamas certainly will to make their, to continue to have them like, and that's what you always have the radical element to make themselves relevant, even if they're not going to win. They'll, 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 they'll fight to, to, to keep themselves relevant. And surely it's about taking the gun out of the situation and it's about trying to find a meaningful solution that give people opportunities in the future. And at the moment, people in the Gaza Strip quite simply don't have opportunities. Don't have opportunities. But, but starting a military conflict, like we've seen it here in this country, starting a military conflict 
only makes that situation worse, yeah. not better. And you wonder where it was going. The Joe Biden has said that he United States stands with Israel is the exact quote. We will be back with the newspaper panel reviewing after this short break. Valerie, I was shocked when you told me this in the ad, but you were watching the match, right? Not shocked about that, but you were watching the match with selection boxes. Christmas selection boxes, Sean, yes. <laughs> it's a bit early. I went out to buy all the loot for the, we were all watching it last night, uh, popcorn, you know, the usual. And the Christmas selection boxes, I had to buy them for a joke, really, you know. <laughs> but And they were very good value, I will add. But um, the match itself, though, I mean, it was terrific when we got that try straight away. Mm. Now, I'm not an expert on rugby, don't know all their names, but it was a dirty match. Scotland played very dirty. And what really annoyed me was when the Scots number one player, whose name I don't remember, um, he threw one of the Irish players yeah, over the bollard. Sheen, yeah. That was a very dangerous thing to do. And the ref never noticed it. He wasn't penalised. I would have given him a red card and put him off for six months. He was too busy watching people they trying to box the head off Johnny Sexton. <laughs> but they did get away with a lot last night. And I, Ireland were superb, absolutely superb. Both the players and you have to say the fans because it must have given them such a lift to look up there and see that sea of green mm. up in the stands and singing and jumping around and waving. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. It was a great match. And I mean, I'm expecting more more at the quarterfinals. <laughs> I've never seen uh, Colm like uh, we're a country now excited to face the All Blacks. It's just not a sentence I ever thought I would say, especially after they hammered us four years ago. I think that's really true. Like when you when you come into this World Cup, you said we, we were number one in the world, and we kind of we're kind of winging it as number one. We've made a massive statement as number one in the world so far mm. against South Africa, against Scotland. The nature, of the game, the emphatic nature in which the the wins came. But I suppose the reality is we're now at the quarterfinal stage. We've been at this stage seven yeah. times before out of nine. So uh, we've never got beyond it. So we've achieved nothing yet and we could lose perspective. I know South Africa was a massive scout to take. Scotland, you could do it in the Six Nations any year. But it's the nature of the wins. It's the nature. Of the, even when Scotland did make it, or got their, their two tries in a row and the kerfuffle, if you like, on the side, with the players, they just regrouped and got on about the game. There's a real sense of maturity among the team now at the moment mm. that you feel that the re- New Zealand is no big challenge and that's a statement in itself. It's yeah. no big challenge because this team is fit for it and they're at that level. And I think that's... Whereas before we, we, we went in hope and we were reaching to, we're standing in the position now, we're number one in the world, we, we've dealt with anyone that's come along we're ready, but we have to not lose sight of... And and that's a maturity, I think, among... That's what I was going to say. They have an excellent attitude because there was none of this self-congratulation and going mad when they won. They realised this is only a step on the way to winning the World Cup. So they weren't going to go crazy last night and that was really good. From here on, one defeat finishes it all. So Mm. you have to approach the New Zealand game and New Zealand are still New Zealand and it's a World Cup and New Zealand will be a different New Zealand than you've seen of them in the last couple of years. That's what they do. That's why they win World Cups because they'll show up when it comes to it. And we could lose perspective and I think the supporters could lose perspective a little bit on this. But I don't think the team will. I think they're they're grounded. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. You're putting, uh, we can't get above our station, you know, it's this Irish thing that we have in our blood. We're going to be joined by Ashing O'Reilly from Paris later on in the show. But just before we go, Valerie, a lot about RTE and nobody better to ask about it uh, than, than yourself. What is going on behind the scenes of the Late Late Show? Well, the latest one is that the executive producer, Jane Murphy, has resigned from mm. the show. And apparently, um, we're told in the Sunday Independent that Patrick Keelty begged her to stay on with the show. Now, she has an excellent reputation. She's a, a terrific executive producer. I've worked with her in the past. 
And as and well she's still, as that, still within RT, she's oh, still within RT, yes, Mo- just from over, the show. Yeah. But she is a very decent sort of person. So you know the speculation in the papers this morning, it's really not great. But when you boil it down, I thought Neve Horan's piece was very good. She said the problem was the selection of guests and how they were being interviewed. And you know everybody was saying that from the moment go. Apparently, Alan Tyler. Um, who is in charge. He's only in charge since last year. He dropped the CNN journalist, uh, Donny O'Sullivan, Mm. at the last minute. His flight was actually booked from the States. He cancelled him and put in the two Johnnies. So then you had the two Johnnies and Mary McAleese, which was the most ridiculous combination ever. Hmm. I mean, for a starter, for a new show. I mean, how boring was that? Well, is it trying to go for this, like, this Graham Norton where get these people you never think would be on a couch together and make it work and it's just teething problems or do you think the format Ah, is out the window? But Graham Norton has A-listers. Yeah. We didn't. Mm. I mean, I thought when I saw Mary McAleese, I thought, wouldn't this be great if they had, say, Mary McAleese and, you know, a former president, Michael D, whatever on mm. it. And we talk about the presidency, which would be great. But we didn't. And uh, that particular segment, I thought, was really boring. And now they did the same thing. And then, unless you're a country music fan, oh, God, I mean, I... <laughs> You know, I've got to the stage now. I'm a country I'm music fan. Are you? You're oh God, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, not against, nothing against country music. I wouldn't say that. Wouldn't be my All first country choice. music votes are gone from <laughs> re-election. But bid. no, but I do think it's there's a thing about this. Like, if you take that was the first show, and Donny O'Sullivan is somebody who captures the Irish imagination. I know I don't tune into the late late that much, and if Donny O'Sullivan had to be on it. I would have watched it okay. and it would have set yeah. a tone and not only that he would have also talked about Capitol Hill and what happened there so you would have had the, the, the kind of current newness of Donny O'Sullivan but you'd also have the, 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 the current affairs if you like of what's happening in America so oh, like just to lose that is a statement of what's happening yeah. they're, they're just missing the, the premium M- missing something uh, that's all we could talk about that for, uh, for another hour I'm sure but anyway listen thank you to my, uh, my panel guests Colin Markey MEP and Valerie Cox journalist and broadcaster On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Redesign your organisation. Reinvent your capabilities. Reimagine your future. On News Talk.